0: Station,
1: station, man's radio. I, good day, and welcome to this week's episode of Perspective. I'm Dolan Mercer. On last week's programme, we listened into a public session of the Social Affairs Policy Review Committee, which heard from Health Minister David Ashford and Director of Public Health Dr. Henrietta Hewitt on the topic of suicide. Today we are continuing that discussion. On Monday, the panel of David Cretney, MLC and MHK's Julie Edge and Martin Perkins met with Interim Health CEO Angela Murray. Mr Cretney is joining me live in the studio after the one o'clock news to discuss what he heard. But first, let's listen to what Angela Murray had to
0: say.
2: This is a national issue. It's not a mental health issue. I possibly want to put that marker down. That's not to say that there are some people who ultimately do commit suicide who have mental health problems but I think the tendency as we've had discussion in these uh, forums before is that um, it's often laid to the mental health services as Mm. an issue for the mental health services Mm. to resolve but actually if you look at national strategies elsewhere they are mainly driven by a public health initiative and that's across government, it's third sector, it's private organisations, etc., all need pulling together to develop a strategy. But key to developing the strategy is not just to have a strategy, it is to have a plan, an implementation plan that
3: underpins the strategy. I think it was stated at the last meeting that there have been a number of strategies some of which have ended up gathering dust on shelves.
0: Yeah.
3: When would a suicidal person not be admitted for inpatient treatment?
2: Not be admitted?
3: Yes, if, if they present what...
2: Uh, that would be a clinical decision um, led by a consultant psychiatrist and the mental health team, assuming that the person has been in touch with the mental health services prior I think if it was a new presentation, the likelihood is that the person would actually um, have an admission first. So if it wasn't somebody that was known to the services, it is possible that they would be admitted to the acute board for an assessment. Often, and it's not just here, um, you will find that somebody can be supported in the community Depending on it. it's it's very very complicated subject as you can imagine, and a lot of factors have to be looked at. It isn't necessarily always the best place, um, you know, for somebody to be in an acute psychiatric ward.
4: With, with regards to you know you said that they could be admitted. Um, is there any family involvement or a, when the care plan for a patient is taken place? There should be, but I do think
2: it is. um, I think it's a a problem within the mental health services that this isn't done consistently and across the board, I have to say. And we've recently, for example, had a a report done by Dr. Dickinson. And, um, you know, he's also suggesting in the report, whilst it is done, it's not done consistently. Um, across the board so that is something um, as a result of that review that we are looking at.
3: In the assessment of a service user's suicide risk would a clinician inquire into any suicide related internet use?
2: Very possibly. Um, Again it would be on an individual basis. Um, I think you would find certain services such as the younger person service that would be quite a feature, because it is a feature of a lot of child and adolescent mental health issues is around the internet you know the bullying and um, the suicide sites that are aimed at children and um, but each each clinical um, assessment is done. It is done against a standard, but also then the clinicians will look at you know the individual. You don't want sort of a, a package that just says one size fits all. You have to look at it in the round.
3: Um, I've been contacted by um, a family affected uh, by suicide, and their suggestion was that when their son presented, uh, he, he was told that he didn't fit the criteria. Are there a particular set of criteria and are they published?
2: Um, without knowing the individual case that's really difficult for mm. me but there, there are criteria into different levels of the service. Yes there are criteria um, but I would have to you know, welcome information mm. about the case so I can look into it and answer more fully as to why that would be. But there right. are, yes, to each step of the service and into different services such as CAMS, um, yeah. there are criteria.
3: And in terms of a, a person representing and, and it being decided that it would be helpful for not to be on a general ward but to be in the, uh, or the facility, are those facilities sometimes with mixed problems with drug and alcohol problems as well as potential suicide risks and does that constitute a good situation or not?
2: Yeah because they're not separate often they're not separate within the one person mm. um, you can have somebody who uh, has an addiction who also is depressed who needs acute care you know that it's multifaceted as, as individuals are mm. so it is mixed in the sense that it's mixed within the people You know, nobody's a pure case, are they? Um, Yes, there are uh, services targeted at addiction, and we're widening those services to include addictions outside of drug and alcohol. Mm. And that specification has been developed now for the development of the service further. I have had politicians question me on this before about, you know, well, how can somebody who has a drink problem be in there? Because that person with a drink problem might have the drink problem because they have a depression, yeah. because, you know, there's, there's 101 different things. So you can't separate them and put them into silos because of the fact that we are all human and we're all a mixture of a lot of things.
3: Your policy for risk assessment and management of self-injury and the prevention of suicide states, and I quote, whenever possible, consent should be sought from the patient. However, there may be occasions where the level and degree of risk necessitates disclosure of information, even if consent is not obtained. When information is shared without consent, a clear rationale will be documented in the patient's progress notes. Is there a policy or further guidance available to clinicians on this?
2: Um, at the end of the day, with all respect to sharing information, you know, a personal nature, you have to assess the risk of not sharing that information. And I think there are cases in the past where um, the services have been very, very nervous. The people who work within the services have been very, very nervous because constantly, you know, we are told about GDPR and we are, you know, very conscious of not sharing information that we shouldn't, and therefore I think sometimes is a reticence when really the priority has to be the safety of the person and the risk therein Mm. of not sharing that information. Now, once you make that decision as a clinician um, or as a team of clinicians, the documenting of it is very, very important. It must be you know, fully documented as to why and why that decision was made.
1: Does that include sharing
3: with the police?
2: Not of a criminal nature. No, that's not for us to do.
3: Not of a criminal nature, but somebody who is mentally disturbed and possibly suicidal, um, and the police are trying to decide the best way they can, uh, the best outcome for that person. Yeah. Um... Would you disclose information on that person we've, or not?
2: Well, we've resolved that issue in a different way. We've okay, actually yep. put mental health nurses working in the police force. Mm. So if an officer suspects that there's somebody with a mental health problem or somebody says, um, you know, I, I have a mental health problem or I feel suicidal, they have an a RMN um, attached to the police um, and we are expanding that service again we're working closely with the police to you know, make that um, wider and deeper we put two RMNs uh, from the mental health services into the police force to run as a pilot we've completed that pilot we have the evidence of use etc cetera, etc cetera now and we're moving forward with a business case to
4: expand it Obviously, I know uh, Fred reports that it's been quite a successful service, but do you know of any times when somebody with a mental health problem has been held within the police environment longer than they should have because you didn't have availability up at Manan Court?
2: Can I widen it out to a custodial setting as opposed to the police force? Um, Because sometimes you will have, you know, people end up in prison and... Either they can be in prison with a mental health problem or they can create, you know, the the fact that they've been put into a custodial setting can create uh, a mental health problem. And we have, in the past, before we actually had an off-island placement um, contract in place, we had a lot of difficulty placing people uh, in the appropriate setting, which is a forensic setting. Um, If somebody is in the police station and they go through full assessment um, and they have a mental health problem, then actually what happens at the police station is the appropriate services are brought in and contacted and the person transferred if the mental health problem is the primary issue. So.
4: Because
2: so tr- it, be, it could be that an addiction is the primary issue, in which case you put addiction services into the police and into the prison. And we've extended the services that we provide into the prison um, uh, significantly in the last 18 months. Um, we have you know, uh, more mental health workers working in the prison and um, that's proved very successful as well.
4: So the mental health nurses are working closely with the police. Police pick somebody up. They come to police headquarters. Mental health nurse takes over and makes the decision. If that person's mental health is seen to be the main reason why they've ended up at a police station, they might not have been charged yeah. with anything at that point. So yeah. the mental health the nurse professional is
2: that one RMN alone. The RMN job in the police station is to assess the person's mental health against our sort of standard protocols and then bring in other services that may be required to either stabilise or support or transfer the person out. And that that could be a, a range of services. And that also uh, depends on the index offence. So not everybody, depending on the seriousness of the index offence, um, they would receive the service... But it might be that they stay in custody and they may be transferred to the UK or, you know, it, it's, it's a, it, as I say, it's multifaceted. It depends on a set of circumstances. Thank
3: you. With having two registered mental nurses associated with the police, are they able to cover the situation 24-7? Um,
2: <coughs> that's why we're expanding it. What we actually do at the moment is the two cover, um, you know, a fair bulk of the shifts and we assessed when they were most needed Mm. when the Mm. most usage was now that proved quite difficult Mm. because actually you know um, Mm. people commit crime at different times they they don't all commit crime or become unwell do they you know Mm. No. 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, or hours like that. So the service is backed up when those RMNs are not on duty, they're backed up by our crisis service. But going forward, as I say, between uh, DHA and DHSC, we've put a business case together that says you need, you know, and, and we've, we've worked out the specification and the model for what's required to actually cover it 24 7. And we are looking at putting physical health nurses in as well uh, but they will be on more of an on-call basis because a lot of physical health problems can affect people's mental health so you won't just have you know an rmn assessment and um, if if the person says for example i'm diabetic they would have uh, a general nurse come in and you know screen them as well
4: you just mentioned the C crisis response team Is there ever any times where they would refuse to see somebody because they're under the influence of drugs or drink?
2: There have... Yes,
4: yes. If somebody
2: um, is actually in custody and they are drunk, you cannot do a mental health assessment because you don't know what's the alcohol or what's the problem. So um, this is where actually... um, the physical health nurses will help once we get them on board. Uh, because what happens at the moment is that person is then taken to the uh, emergency department at the hospital. And actually the issue could just be that they're drunk and often happens that they will say you know I want to end it and it appears to be a mental health problem we take them unfortunately that ties the police up for a significant amount of time um, the person sobering up and often creating problems within the uh, ED department it, it's not just here this happens everywhere mm-hmm. Um, and then when they sober up, actually an assessment is able to be done and they're fine. Um, yeah. But that doesn't mean to say we don't monitor them. Yeah. They are offered appointments. and um, So there are cases like that. And then, of course there are cases where actually when the drink wears off, they're actually not well at all and the drink is um, as a result of the fact that they're not well because often people with mental health problems try to self-medicate with drink or drugs.
1: Just coming back to the uh, physical pain, is there any um, additional psychological support for people experiencing um, severe
3: chronic um, physical pain?
2: Uh, Okay, another thorny issue here. We are looking at the development of um, a health liaison in in its broader sense okay because we did have some health liaison from mental health services into um into noble's hospital for example but again this is this um mixture of uh, where people think everything is a mental health problem. If somebody has a diagnosis of what is essentially a life-changing disease and there's plenty of those, then they need support. That's not a mental health problem that is somebody that needs support from psychological services um, and uh, when I first came here um, that was a service provided by Um, a very very senior psychologist which was all the wrong way around what people need is they need therapists to be intervening at a cbt level um you know supporting them to come to terms with their pain or their disease or um now we have a specification written for that and we are um we're just recruiting two to run a and this is a pilot to run a pilot to see exactly what the usage is. So somebody that would go into custody and fall into that bracket would be then referred to that service, so that we can, um, you know, assess exactly what is needed.
3: Okay, thank you.
2: Okay. Yeah.
3: How often are the anxiety management courses offered by the Community Wellbeing Service run and how long are the waiting lists to attend?
2: I can't answer that actually at the moment Um, but we have uh, again just been successful in achieving funding for our um, Western Area Pilot where we are putting... uh, level two services, tier two services into GP practices and we're starting in the west of the island. Um, Again, we need to assess the usage. So um, that should actually um, give us some really uh, useful information and be able to assess really whether each locality as we move around the island should have, you know, the service and what size it should be. Each area should have the service but we don't know yet until we've got that information because it isn't just about um, having um, access to a psychiatrist or you know any profession it's about the team of people dealing with um, what we call the lower intensity on on an IAP program um, actually being um, accessed through with the GP so if you were Going to the GP with low-level anxiety, depression, they would be able to say, "Okay, you can see a you know counsellor, or you can see a psychologist, or whoever." Next Wednesday, the clinic's on next Wednesday, so it's a, a quick access through.
0: Yeah. Sorry, Mr. Grant, yeah. you, While
3: you're reflecting on that, can I just ask, Mrs. Murray, what what is an IAP program? What do you Is
0: that
2: that an acronym that you've.? Sorry, it's the um, Improved Access to Psychological Therapies. It's been in the UK, I don't know, maybe now, 12, 15 years, something like that. But that's its title, yeah, sorry. All right, thank you very
3: much. When when will further psychoeducation workshops covering issues such as confidence and assertiveness and sleep be made available? Sorry.
2: I couldn't quite catch what you said at the end, Mr. Cretney, I'm sorry.
3: It's no problem. When will the further psychoeducation workshops covering issues such as confidence and assertiveness and sleep be made available?
2: I can't answer that because actually we're talking about resources here and um, again, is this a mental health service? Um, I'm not saying they're not problems, but I think as part of a strategy that looks at what is a national issue, that is what we would have to do, is actually start to classify, well, w- at what point does this become a mental health problem. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, for some people, you talk about sleep deprivation, most definitely some people end up with a mental health problem because Mm -hmm. they're sleep deprived. But why were they sleep deprived in the first place? Mm -hmm. Was it created by, you know, there's there's a lot of work to do um, to gather the data around all of that before you could deliver any sort of service or plan a service.
1: That was the Health Department's interim CEO, Angela Murray, there speaking to the Social Affairs Policy Review Committee. More after this.
4: The Nation Station, Manx Radio.
1: Welcome back to Perspective on Manx Radio. If you're just joining us, We're listening to the Health Department's Interim CEO, Angela Murray, speaking to the Social Affairs Policy Review Committee on the topic of suicide. Let's rejoin that discussion.
3: Before you became the Interim Chief Executive Officer of the Department, one of your key roles was in the mental health area. Would you be able to say, in your opinion, do you think things are going in the right direction and is the pace fast enough?
2: I think if you look back over the last three years and I mean I suppose you could say I would say this but we now have steps of care that weren't there before and all out of the same resources. Mm. I think resources are a big issue. Um, So we created tier two services from within the existing services so they are not as as deep and wide as they should be, the sorts of issues you're talking about there. We can't, we can't take everything on, because actually you talk about waiting lists, the, the waiting lists would be sky high. It, it needs resourcing properly, but the biggest problem i found on the island is the lack of data, to plan anything. So this is why we take the approach of saying, well, okay, as we did with the forensics, we will put a pilot study in for a year and then we will know at least over a year what is needed and then we can start to plan, which is what we've been able to do with DHA. And I think we do need pump priming monies mm. to do the same sort of thing in um, you know the general mental health services. So... I think yes I think we've done quite well with what we've got if you look at what we were spending off-island by having individual contracts for each person we've saved 1.3 million I think overall uh, by having a block contract Um, and so we have all tiers of service in place we've introduced the pilot and uh, you know the work that we've done on the forensic and the custodial so yeah, I think an awful lot has been done. It still isn't where it should be, um, but it's a long way towards it.
3: Has any of the one point three million pounds been able to be reallocated towards other uh, other mental health issues?
2: Yes, I think um, it sort of went back into treasury and back out for the forensic right. placements. So, um, and that, of course, uh, fundamentally changed um, the prison environment. For example um so yeah uh, i think it has been reinvested
4: if somebody has been under your care and they can discharge themselves from it um how do you keep, how do you keep track of somebody to ensure that i don't know it's very difficult to do but that doesn't appear to be aftercare services. So, say somebody has been an inpatient within Mananan Court, there's not a progress moving from being that inpatient in critical care to the next stage down. There is. So, yeah, I mean, d- people? Are- are, if you mean if they self discharge or well, they could self discharge but right. but what it's is the process is is there adequate there is, resource yeah, is i suppose is what I'm asking. Um,
2: from the tier three services and we produce um, uh, a dashboard each month on how many you know we have a, a target figure uh, to make sure that um, we keep on top of the five-day follow-up so again it depends upon the severity you may find somebody coming out of um, Manan court and they have immediate uh, follow-up with the crisis team and they're supported by the crisis team. Other people will come out and have the five day follow up. Once they've had the five day follow up, they might be referred to psychology or they might have no further treatment. Um, uh, And an awful lot of the problems that are encountered are, if you like, out with the mental health services. They're things like housing and benefits and. Um, and of course, then they referred to social workers. And what we're working on now is integrating those services, which was the idea of creating the Directorate of Community Care, that you don't have sort of social work sitting in this division and you have mental health sitting here that and that if you look at what we're doing in the west of the island is exactly how they're working that the social workers sit down with mental health workers sit down with the older person services and say what does this person need so there is there is quite a robust system of support but that doesn't mean to say that everybody that comes out needs it
4: so obviously you're planning to extend that but so if somebody comes out now currently the only place to get that service uh, on block is west of the island no no
2: no. the west is just the locality that we're piloting integrated care services there is a tier three service so if you look at Manan and Court as a Tier 4 service, you come out of a Tier 4 service and you referred into a Tier 3 service if you require it. And when that referral is sent through, there's a five-day follow-up. So they have to see you within five days, unless there are exceptional circumstances. So, for example, recently um, I asked for some information around the figures on the five-day follow-up because I saw that there was a drop in the number and when I got the information back some people had refused Uh, one person had gone on holiday they'd left and they have gone on holiday with the family and again when you're dealing with small numbers and you're talking about you know uh, you've only reached 85% it, it only means you've you know two or three people mm. amiss are, are because we're dealing with very small numbers so there is quite a robust five day follow up and then an allocation of uh, a community worker goes on within that
3: okay. you, you, You'll be content I'm sure to uh, Recognise that the minister and the director of public health both referred to data and the importance of yes. d- appropriate data collection and, and in terms of policy formulation and things. When when they visited us last uh, last week, um, and I I just wondered in terms of uh, establishing uh, our data, what. Is the best way to do that with the Office of National Statistics in the UK or should we compare ourselves with other islands or things like that?
2: Really difficult one that essentially first and foremost we have to set our own minimum data set which they have done in mental health okay. Then it's about working with public health identifying appropriate populations now that may not be another island uh, because we're not all the same, Uh, it may be uh, a rural population mixed population and that's where the importance of public health comes in because all the services should actually be guided by the JSNAs done by uh, public health which we're getting on top of now Um, so you wouldn't necessarily say oh I know let's you know let's Benchmark against Guernsey and Jersey, which we tend to do, or frequently people will say to me, well, what about the Isle of Wight? And I do keep pointing out that's Hampshire. Mm. So actually, even though it's an island, it's Mm. Hampshire, Mm. and it it runs... The other thing is their their, um, systems are completely different, so their data collection is different. So I think there are general benchmarks that can be created by public health, and would work reasonably well, but we have to start gathering our data correctly for us to be able to develop services tailor made for the island yes. and then say, Oh, because again you can take the small figures that we have here for lots of diseases and problems and and you say, Well actually um, if you look at it percentage wise with you know Hampshire. You know then it doesn't relate at all it's apples and pears yeah. so it's it's key that our data sets are built here and they were never done before
3: mm. and, and I think that's the point I was trying to get from you I, I think that's very important
4: are you confident with the way it's getting gathered now that it will be what we require for the future and it's set and, set in policy, so it can't change if, if if you move on from your position. Is it electronic? Is it you know? Is it um, is it ensuring that everybody that's coming into the service is collecting the data from the yeah. outset at the yeah. same yeah. format? It, 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 to some extent, Mrs. Edge, it has to be
2: standardised. Okay, what we have and what we've found over uh, quite a considerable period of time is that people there is a lot of data and a lot of information. And it's on people's spreadsheets and computers and uh, different systems. If you look at the digital strategy, uh, there must be, I can't remember the number now, 10, 12 different systems that have been set up over the years um, where data is being input, but they don't speak to each other. And it is a really big uh, digital job to actually... Uh, get the systems to speak to each other. But interestingly enough, I think the key to putting the individual at the centre of what we do is actually people speaking to each other in the same team working together, which is what we're doing in the west of the island where some of those professions had not, they had communicated with each other but they hadn't sat in the same room talking to each other about Mrs Smith and what should happen with Mrs Smith and how we can support her. Now, the data is critical to planning services um, and projecting how things will be going forward and the budgets and things that people like me have to live and die by. But uh, first and foremost, the person who is receiving our care needs the people talking to each other, who are the professionals in putting that care and building the data sets up um, as we go along. I think in another five years, we will have quite reasonable data sets that will give us the ability to project what services we need going forward.
4: So so you started saying that uh, we don't have data and that's making it difficult, but... You've just said that there's probably about 12 digital systems through the digital strategy that have data in, but they're not talking to each other. Is there any action getting taken to make sure that any historical information about our patient is getting gathered in one place?
2: Yeah, I mean, <coughs> I mean it's one of the key recommendations in Jonathan Michael's report as well, is that actually, um, you know, GTS have been working on this for quite a long time, um, and I do attend obviously quite a lot of uh, information and technology meetings and the more I hear, the more complicated it actually becomes to um, you can't have one system um. The you know if you look at the the spread of health and social care and the different types of information that you need to develop somebody's social care package or their health package if they go to cardiology that that um, you know system would not support what's needed in social care so it's about developing something that draws the information from everywhere and puts it into one package not easy but it's been worked on quite hard.
4: I suppose from a historic point of view, what the question I'm asking is, if I'd been a patient 40 years ago, would you have my data today?
2: There would be some data on paper. Okay.
3: I was also going to ask from a historic point of view, having been around here as long as I have, it's come up time and again that the various agencies of government from time to time, we're not working as well together mm. as they should do mm. I, again, were you surprised when you took office to to see that, um, and do you think that things are improving in that area? I, uh,
2: absolutely i do mm. um, i think it's I think as an island and the way we've structured health and social care as one department gives us the best opportunity to actually do what we are doing now, which is integrated care. And I think it's becoming a little bit hackneyed in a way, you know, integrated care, what does it actually mean? Well, it does mean that all of the services working together for the person who's at the centre of this, the person who needs care support uh, for their carers, um, and if you look at that, um, in, in the west of the island which the reason we piloted it I just need to be clear about this is because you don't know until you actually pilot something whether your system is working whether your protocols are right whether your assessments are right when they started this piece of work operationally there was something like 17 different assessments so district nurses, uh, mental health nurses, you know, you name it, everybody in the team had a different assessment. Um, And they spent months and months and months creating an assessment that gathered all of the information that was needed and can be completed at the start by an individual practitioner. Now we're talking about efficiency as well, aren't we? Because 17 people don't have to ask Mrs Smith the same question it's asked by one person the data's gathered now we need an electronic system yeah. that you can put that on and can be accessed by all, all the team so yeah. once all of these things have been worked through we are then going to roll this out round the island and the, you know, as I said the data is there um, to plan it but this will refine it down but it will take us years it's not immediate and we do have historical
0: records. Absolutely.
3: Still, lots of them. I I thought you were going to say there at the end that you've got historical records, that's fine, but we also have historic issues where members of the public have been let down, in my opinion, by government. Anything else you wanted to do?
4: Um, Just really, with your capacity at Court, are you comfortable that it's working well and you've, there is enough capacity. If somebody to arrives today with, with an issue, they could be yeah, an impatient. I, I think
2: like a lot of services, we will hit peaks and troughs. Um, and um, I think we've had a couple of problems recently around, um, you know, where uh, if you have somebody who's on leave... And then you have an emergency then you know you will use the leave bed and that creates a problem Um, but we are also in the process of now um, it should be finished perhaps the end of this year Um, we have extra beds being built that are supported living beds Um, so what used to be getting reached is the river suite and there will be three supported living beds um now that will alleviate problem that we have on an acute ward when somebody needs to step down i think that's what you were referring to before mrs edge we have community property okay but it's a big step isn't it Mm -hmm. to come from an acute unit into a community property albeit supervised and supported when you perhaps haven't looked after yourself for a lot of years, even, in some cases. So what we have is three beds with an activities kitchen, you know, everything, where people can step down into those beds, be helped with just activities of daily living, ready to move out into the community um, in supported living just the same, but it's the next step down. Mm. Thank you. Can I just ask a couple of factual points? You mentioned a report by Dr Dickinson at the beginning. Is that something that this committee has before it, or is it a recent report? Uh, no, the, the, I think you had the original one, and then I commissioned another report, which is due to be published Friday. So uh, we'll send a copy to the committee.
3: Thank you very much.
2: And just on, on IT, when you were speaking about the registered mental Nurses at the police station, how does that work with IT? Do they have access to health They can records? access the Rio system. They can access it from the police station. And interestingly, you can access quite a few of the systems from the prison, but the issue is you have to go into each one and log on individually. So... Nurses at the prison can get on Rio, they can get on Medway, EMIS, but you have to log on. So the systems aren't talking to each other. It's the person who's gathering um, all the information. And that's, that's not efficient at all. And this is what GTS are working on mm-hmm. how we get the systems to give the information and let the individual access all that information. Yes,
3: yeah, so you said it would take years. Like yes. Yeah. I'll <laughs> just give it. How many years? <laughs> How
2: many years? You need to speak to GTS. <laughs> um, there is, well, as I say, there's a digital strategy yeah. in place, but it, it's not going to happen overnight. No, it isn't. It is going to be a couple of years, but it, but it has to. It's part of the underpinning of, of the Jonathan yeah. Michael review yeah. and recommendations. It, it's every bit as important as changes to legislation are yeah. uh, in that review.
3: So given its importance, surely I'm, I'm sure—not for you to say—but I'm sure that um, the, the government can say to GTS, "This is a this is our top priority. This is something because it seems to me that there can't it be many fares. more important priorities."
2: People supported yeah. the Sir Jonathan Michael review.
3: absolutely, and well, it's
2: one of the recommendations. so yeah. it has to go ahead, doesn't it?
3: Yeah. Anything else? I, th- I think that's probably as much as we've got today. Um, Is there anything else you'd like to mention that hasn't come up in our conversation? Um,
2: I think it's important to mention the Mental Health First Aid, uh, the First Aid programme. This is a programme that, again, is not a mental health service um, to deliver. But what happened with it, when you say, you know, have we made changes and improved, is eventually um, we decided, let's just go ahead with this, and we trained up. Quite a few workers um, in the field, um, and we also have somebody external that we've employed to drive forward. It is really key that um, (coughs) people working next to people who may be depressed, anxious, or are able to feel confident to actually approach the person and say, You know, Mm. you don't look so good today, Mm. are you okay? All right. And give people the confidence. It's a two day training course. But that needs, again, resources, because mm-hmm. we've got the resources out of the mental health service doing that. And then on the other side, somebody will be saying, well, you need more resources in this. But actually, it isn't it isn't just for mental health workers. This no. is for, you know, general public, people in offices, people in other government departments. And I think that's really, really Mm. Quite important that we can get that program rolled out,
3: I think the minister said uh, last week that there was something around three hundred or or something over three hundred within the department mm-hmm. who had had that oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah, yeah.
2: and that's not bad going mm. because we can only take sixteen at a time <coughs> the course, so we can't run courses every week, mm. but if we could you know three hundred out of you know three thousand yes. But also, as
3: you say, in the private sector as well and in Absolutely. other government departments, it's yeah, very important.
2: We, we want to, you know... And, and and actually, we have been approached by uh, banks and other organisations, but we don't have the capacity to go and train them mm. uh, because we don't have enough uh, bandwidth, really. But if anybody,
3: um, if anybody can, get a, uh, can do a good job of that, it should be the Isle of Man, because we're a small... Exactly. A community and hopefully we can all support each other in that yeah, regard.
2: Absolutely.
1: That was the Interim Health CEO Angela Murray there speaking to Timwald's Social Affairs Policy Review Committee. Shortly I'll be joined live in the studio by the committee's chair Mr David Cretney to reflect on what all panels heard so far but first, news time.
4: The Nation Station Thanks Radio
1: Vastamai, good afternoon. You're listening to Perspective on Manx Radio, and if you're just joining us this week and last week, we've been looking at the work of a Timwald committee which has been continuing its inquiry into the topic of suicide on the Isle of Man. I'm joined uh, for this part of the programme by the committee's chair, Mr David Cretney, MLC. Uh, good afternoon. Thank you. Very Vastamai, good afternoon. Vastamai. Um Now, to, to begin with, I think it's worth acknowledging that the work of the committee is obviously ongoing on this, there are there are some things still to be done. Um, we'll talk about that perhaps in a little bit. Um, first of all, reflecting on uh, your conversations with Angela Murray, also with the Health Minister and with uh, Director of Public Health, um, any big surprises from your point of view?
3: No big surprises. Um, I have to say that both the Minister, the the Interim Chief Executive Officer, Angela Murray, um, and uh, we also met with the uh, Henrietta Hewitt, the uh, new Director of Public Health, or relatively new Director of Public Health. They're all new in their roles, but it's been quite apparent that that, uh, things haven't been as they should have been in the past, and I welcome the frankness of each of these individuals in accepting that and making it clear that things have to change. Uh, I support them in that. Uh, The committee... Uh, obviously, one of the most important things that's been spoken about by all three was in relation to data collection in order to have properly informed policies going forward. Um, and a slight disappointment uh, that uh, the Angela Murray indicated that it was going to be at least a couple of years, maybe five years before all the data uh, would be properly in place. I hope and trust that the government are able to reduce that timescale. It's very important. Um, and also, I think it's very important that uh, the point made by Henriette Hewitt, that this is principally, and, and endorsed by by the others, that this is principally a public health issue rather than only a mental health issue. It goes across society. And as such, not uh, probably less than half of the people who Decide sadly to take their own lives, or actually engage with, or have been engaged with the mental health services. I rec, I, I welcome that they accept the importance of this, and I think it's time that the work they're doing and our scrutiny coincide.
1: I think that was in Angela Murray's uh, opening gambit, if you like, that it was a, a national problem, not a mental health problem. Yes. Can we can we sort of infer from that that it has been considered? exclusively a mental health problem in the past
3: I think it probably has and 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 the other sad thing for me I first raised the issue of suicide in on the island man in Timwald in 1993 that's how long I've been concerned about this issue and at that time I did that because I had been involved with an individual case and the individual case took a long time To actually get involved with the mental health services there was a resistance from the mental health services to taking this person and and giving them support when they needed it i eventually persuaded that to happen and very sadly the person left was within a couple of days and took his own life so this is something which kind of you then think did i do all i could have done to help and and, and I, fa- I think this is a fact, this is what happens with so many people, their families, for example, they wonder, is this something I could have done more? And it's just something that uh, I've, I've spoken also to people whose loved one took their own life 20 plus years ago, and they're still affected by that. It stays with them for the rest of life. So it is a very important subject. And so I'm most disappointed that reports that have been carried out which should have been showing the way a long time ago have just been simply gathering dust on a shelf and i'm very sorry to say the very least about that
1: you've mentioned in several of the hearings words to that effect that previous strategies have been have been gathering dust on shelves um is there a perception this has been deliberately Booted into the long grass? Do you think?
3: Um, I think mental health services for too long was a, was a Cinderella service. It didn't receive as much funding as as um, other uh, medical services. And I had a bit of a kind of crude theory that you know if you've got a broken arm or something, and it's a bit cliche, but if you've got a broken arm or something, then it's obvious to others. If you've got a mental health issue, then you've got that yourself, and not. People might think that everything's going on swingingly, but behind the scenes, that person could be in in a very dark place. Uh, I, I think one of the things that's really good now is there are a, a number of charitable organisations on the island who will work with the uh, state provision, and also that younger people are much more prepared to open up and to talk about it than those of my generation. I think it... Uh, those of my generation would either perhaps resort to drink or or would just permanently clam up and and there have been people in my experience who I've been in contact with who've taken their own lives because the services were inadequate.
1: We heard a lot um, certainly around discussions of Sir Jonathan Michael's report into the um, well the health provision I suppose um, more generally the word the word culture comes up quite a lot, and I think yes. it's to do with cultural change and systemic change, perhaps, and that probably applies. I think probably be fair for me to say to general public attitudes as well as to to within government yes. or within or within health services.
3: Yes, and also there's a there's a culture. We, there's just been a report issued on Friday, which um, Angela Murray referred to, and. The cultural aspect to that which is of concern to me is that the staff within the organisation, within the Manan Court area, felt that the best way for them to get action was to go to the press rather than having a conversation with management or bid management. Or whatever, and that's a big cultural issue that I think, and I don't think it's only in um, in in the health services. I've spoken to trade union officials who tell me that that's prevalent in other areas as well, and so I think there needs to be some form of training for um, mid-management in particular to recognise recognise issues in, either with the individual who might have mental health problems, or to accept that those per- people who are working on the front line have something to say and should be heard.
1: You didn't use the word, but I can imply or infer, sorry, that you're, you're talking about whistleblowing. Um, I don't know whether it's a coincidence or not that Julie Edge sits across both of those themes in an official capacity. Yeah. What work has the Social Affairs Policy Review Committee done with... With the whistleblowing yeah, yes. committee,
3: it, I, I wouldn't say it's specifically whistleblowing, but you're right. Julie is interested in that, and there's a committee that's been sitting for some time, and I guess will be reporting at some time in the future in relation to that matter. No, I would, I would say, yes, it's a part of it, but more importantly, on a day-to-day basis, it appears that perhaps some management, maybe old-fashioned with an old-fashioned outlook, outlook or whatever. Don't listen to those at the front line. Disregard what they have to say. Um, And and I think that's very unfortunate. I think there needs to be specific training to assist them in that so that they can work with those within the organisation because it's only by all of us working together that we can see improvements.
1: Angela Murray um, spoke about uh, a reticence to share information and some concerns about, obviously, GDPR ruling, things like that. And you mentioned before a bit about the uh, digital strategy in in health services.
3: Are these things linked? They they certainly are. You know, um, again, in the Sir Jonathan Michael report, uh, it was made how how clear it was that things should be um, joined up. Angela, in her commentary to us, made it clear how 17, I think she said, people could be speaking to an individual where... It should be one person and then that information is coordinated with all the interested parties who then meet physically to discuss um, particular issues and, and come up with the best solutions for those people. I think there's a long way to go on that and I think um, it's vital, vital work. And, I th- and as I said at the in- 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 inquiry, I do hope that the government with gts or with any other parties can make real progress on that you know we live in an island that's very e-commerce uh, e-gaming e-related we we should be ahead of the game rather than what appears to be the case dragging behind in terms of this
1: you mentioned as well a bit in the the hearing with angela murray about the time scales for implementing some of that digital change yes um i mean Anecdotally, we're talking about a period of more years, plural, from what I can gather. Is there anything that can be done to kind of expedite that process? Well,
3: well I, I, I think, yes, definitely, there is things that can be done. And as I say, you know, if GTS has too much on or whatever, or if uh, the issues are too difficult, then we have expertise on the island. And, and, and I think, given the importance of the issue to get this uh, in place sooner rather than later so we uh, you know we're talking about people's lives here Um I would hope that the government would treat it with the seriousness it deserves and hopefully make progress sooner than uh, the least she said was two years the most she said in our interview was five years both of which are worrying to me.
1: One of the things we hear from the health minister David Ashford um, a lot of the time in several interviews since uh, he sort of took that post is um, the importance of early intervention and of um, recognising an issue sort yeah. of before it arises really. One of the topics spoken about um, in the past couple of weeks has been the placement of mental health nurses within the police force um, which you could argue is sort of that, that first uh, detection point if you like. Um, what were your reflections on that discussion?
3: Well, in relation in particular to the uh, registered mental uh, mental health nurses being present at the police station, we had conversations as the Social Affairs Policy Review Committee with the Chief Constable and with Angela Murray previously before this pilot took place. The pilot has now taken place and it's obviously been a success. It's been very good. You know, in the past, police officers who weren't necessarily trained in specific mental health issues were faced at the front line when going to meet people as to whether this was a mental health issue whether it was something else Um, I think it's really good that this project has been successful and again down to resources 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 the Angela has said that the pilot's been successful and as such she wants to move on to the next stage I very much support that not just in terms of registered mental health uh, health nurses but also she she spoke about the physical health nurses who would be placed in the police uh, office uh, headquarters as well. I think that's a really good idea because mental health and physical health go together and again in the latest report that's come out it emphasizes the importance of physical health for people who are suffering from mental health issues because if their physical health improves then inevitably that will have a knock-on effect in terms of their mental health.
1: Just to recap a bit on the placement of those registered mental health nurses, I think the pilot involved two being yes. placed um, in the in the police force. Some of the discussion, again, with Angela Murray was about the, the sort of time coverage that permitted. Yes, um, yes
3: and- I asked Angela, you know, if you've got two, um, ha- does that cover 24-7? Now, I know, obviously, it wouldn't cover 24-7. But that led to her going on to saying that uh, the pilot has been successful, and and I think they are assess. So what they've had to do in the past is prioritise. But you can't tell when an incident is going to take place when the, the support of these professional professionals is necessary. Um, and so she's obviously made an assessment that four mental registered mental uh, health nurses would. Um, uh, be more appropriate than two and i again very much support that
1: let's move to a more broader theme there was discussions about benchmarking with other jurisdictions um which is very much a perhaps more of a public health kind of level um what were your views on some of the things you heard there
3: yes um again when we met henry henry at what uh, are one of the things that was unbelievable, really. Was that prior to her appointment, statistics and and a, and a report was supposed to be prepared and published on an annual basis, and that hadn't happened for several years. It really isn't good enough. That really isn't good enough. And maybe we should have picked up on that. Maybe we, as members of Timwalt should have recognised that that hadn't been happening. It should have been picked up by, at the very least, by those involved in in the health services. Anyway. She's she's now ca- catching up, um, and yes, it's, it, she has a relationship with the Office of National Statistics in the UK. Um, but as I as I said earlier, in terms of making sure that we have the right policies to assist people, then that has to be properly informed by uh, by a statistical base. And to be fair, again, and I always want would want to be fair, the minister has said that and said that and said that uh, prior to his appointment as, well, as and since. Um,
1: So, we've spoken a bit about public health. That's, I believe, under the the, so Jonathan Michael Report recommendations, that's going to move into Cabinet Office now. That's the plan. Yes. There's also been discussion in several of these sittings about uh, different agencies of government working together. Yes. Um, Is that going to be facilitated better under that move, do you think?
3: Well, I certainly hope so. Again, I've got history in this Um, Again, years ago, um, in my former constituency, uh, there was a a terrible tragedy took place, uh, a terrible tragedy, and uh, I brought that matter to Timbald because it was quite clear and quite apparent that the agencies of government weren't working together, as they should, to support the family in that instance. Um, And again, we had a report expensive report took place and then years later we were still told that the agencies of government were still not working as well together has made that quite clear in her presentation uh, to us on uh, this week um, that how important it is that there is liaison I hope now at last that that will be the case it's very very important
1: By my crude um, interpretation, that's what integrated care is, right? Absolutely. Is is moving in that direction. Yes. Um, You're a (laughs) long-standing servant of Tynwald, if you don't mind me saying, in in several different capacities. Is there a feeling that history is repeating itself a little bit there?
3: Well, well, there have been instances over the years, uh, like the one I mentioned there, and others since, when reports have been carried out and the reports have indicated that part of the problem was uh, that the agencies of government were not working collaboratively and the report is done it's put on a shelf and you, you as a, mem- a Timwald member hope and trust that that will be acted upon and that hasn't always been the case uh, you know the, the one I refer to the, one of the agencies of government said that's as good as she gets well that was never good enough in my opinion. Um, One of the things that came up in the January 2019 report of the Social Affairs Policy Review Committee to Timwold, one of our recommendations is that now, on an annual basis, the Department of Health and Social Care will have to report to Timwold, you know, with a debate uh, as to how they are getting on with uh, mental health, physical health, and um, those kind of issues on an annual basis. I hope that that will enable Timwold... Um, when necessary, to hold them to account.
1: I haven't got a quote written down, but to paraphrase from things you've said before, um, your work with the Social Affairs Policy Review Committees, some of your most important uh, work in Timbald, you felt, to go through very quickly, just on on this topic anyway, you've heard from Cruise Bereavement Care, Government Staff Welfare Representatives, the Isle of Man Health and Care Association, Psychology.im, Samaritans, a Timbald colleague with a... Professional background yes and now the health department and public health what comes next in, in, well, in the even, process even more uh, that's sorry that's just uh, in, in public I might add correct sorry, yes, in,
3: yeah. in private we've met with a number of families who've actually been touch, touched um, by a family member uh, taking their own life and, and when you have to talk to people when you have to uh, try and listen to what they have to say it's it's very difficult Um, And a number of those, there's there's a number of, as I said earlier, third sector organisations. So a number of people who perhaps experienced difficulty uh, in their personal and family life are now committed to to try and help others. And I very much welcome that. There, There will always be a need for third sector involvement. But as I said earlier this week, the most important thing is that government must, and I think they are, Government must recognise that it's a government responsibility first and foremost.
1: You're referencing there an interview with uh, Tim Glover, which is available uh, to listen to again online, but specifically in the inquiry into suicide on the island. Yes. Talk us through the next steps for the committee okay. now.
3: We're we're almost at an end. Uh, we met in private with the coroner of inquests uh, this week um, and... Uh, I think that's the last person we'll be meeting with. She has met. She has made um, a written report for us, which we will be using as part of our evidence to the report. Um, we met in private because, in case there were any specific cases that we may be talking to her about, and it, it obviously we wouldn't and she wouldn't wish to make any uh, further distress to families concern so that's why we met in private but she was very helpful um, she's the last person that we I think we'll be meeting we then need to have our report prepared the, the committee have to sign it off we're hoping that it will get to the November be placed before the November sitting of Tinwold government then have two months to respond and I hope to be moving it in the January sitting of Tinwold and I hope again that the government will take it in the positive light that they did with Our previous report into mental health.
1: My final question on the committee for now, at least. Mm. Um, your, your personal tenure in Timwald is um, yeah. uh, finite, shall we say. <laughs> um, what, yeah. what will come of the committee? Um, af- after that,
4: yes, well,
3: Timwald will appoint a, a new committee. Um, uh, the, the, the two existing mem- members will remain, and they'll either one of them will be made chair, or somebody else from Timwald will be made chair. It is the most important work that I've been doing latterly as part of my general duties. Um, I've always been interested in social issues, as I've indicated and referenced from other matters that I've been involved in in the past. And so I feel like I'm hopefully contributing and making a difference as long as things don't lie on the shelf. And as I say, I'm confident that it these matters are being treated with the pr- proper uh, importance that they might not have been in the past
1: you're listening to perspective on manx radio if you've just joined me i'm joined in the studio by david cretney mlc more after this
4: the nation station manx radio
1: Fast am I. welcome back you're listening to perspective on manx radio exceptionally concerning That's how the island's health minister labelled some of the findings of a review into Mananan Court. Care plans for patients at the island's acute inpatient mental health facility were found to be poor and in need of urgent improvement following an independent assessment. That was released this week. Psychiatric mental health nurse consultant Dr Tommy Dickinson made a total of 17 recommendations for change. We've heard this report referenced both in the oral evidence session and in our discussion just before Health Minister David Ashford told Sean Cowper why the review was initially commissioned.
0: There were some uh, quite worrying accusations made um, by certain members of staff and past members of staff who went to the media. As Minister, I take any such accusations extremely seriously, and they must be investigated. In this instance, we decided that the best way to do that was to have a completely independent report. Dr Dickinson, who's been over and reviewed our services previously, very kindly agreed to come back over and do so again. Um, So he already had that base of knowledge about what we deliver on the and how we deliver it which is exceptionally helpful when bringing any of these things forward and he came over did the review and the review is now available the department has published the review in full today and so anyone can go on and read it in a completely open and transparent way
2: is it a bit disappointing that that staff members would take concerns to the media rather
0: than to the department i mean obviously that is um, that it is sad that the members of staff felt that way that they had to go to the media certainly it's not a culture I want to see embedded in the department, I would much rather people felt comfortable raising issues with their line managers and also via the government whistleblowing policy um, because that's there for a reason and that people should have confidence that though any such claims through either of those routes will be investigated accordingly and that's a culture that I want to see embedded in the department where people feel they have the confidence to use those those appropriate mechanisms.
2: Well, as you say, there are some recommendations for improvement. One of those areas is the care plans, mm-hmm. which have been labelled poor and in, in need of some urgent improvement. How concerning is that?
0: for me as minister that's exceptionally concerning um in terms of care plans there does need to be some urgent improvement one of the big things that dr dickinson identified there was we need to engage more with patients to give them ownership within their own care plans and care plans should be something that involve the patients so they've got buy in rather than just being something that's done to a patient and i think that comes very very clearly out of dr dickinson's report and like i say the department accepts all 17 recommendations most of the stuff within those recommendations are process and procedure changes, which the department can quite easily do. Um, and I think, uh, I believe now we should be working full steam ahead to deliver on those recommendations.
2: So, when will these improved care plans be in place?
0: Well, we should be working on it from now, from day one. What's important with care plans is you take the time to ensure it's right for the patient. Care plans have to be individualised because the whole point is it's what suits that patient. You can't just have a broad brush, a a stroke across where it just applies to everyone. It's got to be individualised to the individual patient and the procedures on how we engage with the patients over that will be starting to be advanced from day one, which is today.
2: And what happens next? Are there going to be more of these reviews? Is there a plan to do reviews on a regular basis to keep on top of this?
0: you can end up reviewing yourself to death, to be perfectly honest. I think with health and social care over the last 10 years or so, that's certainly what we've done. Um, I opened the nursing conference um, last week and I think there was a feeling amongst staff there that, you know, this review fatigue, they've had the Sir Jonathan Michael review, now in mental health we've had this. What's actually important is that we act on the recommendations. We've got a report, We've got 17 recommendations. The crucial thing is bringing those 17 recommendations in, not just continuously going back and reviewing and reviewing and reviewing.
1: That was the health and social care minister, David Ashford. There speaking to Sean Cowper on Friday. Um, you can watch, if you like, that full interview at manxradio.com on the news section and on our social media channels. I'm joined in the studio by David Cretney, MLC, Um I'm speaking to you with, with two hats on now, because you're, you're chair of the Social Affairs Policy Review Committee, also as leader of the Manx Labour Party. Mm. Now, um, it would be remiss of me not to to ask you about this report, really, mm. given the, the, the way that the timings worked. Mm. Um, the MLP also discussed mental health issues at, at length at a, a yes. recent um, policy meeting. Um, you spoke before the break in support of the health minister, yeah. uh, broadly speaking, Um Is there anything you you disagree with there? Uh,
3: Just back to what you just said, um, the Max Labour Party uh, is in the preparation of policy, uh, a policy review. We are looking at individual policy areas and mental health seemed to to us to be one which we could rightly invite the public to join us. We had a really good turnout. There There were trade union officials, there were people from the third sector, there were people who work in the sector, um, and there were service users and, and those who were for, associated with charities. It was a very good meeting. And so it's something which is close to the heart of the Manx Labour Party. Health, full stop. But mental health in this, it, it's quite apparent that mental health is, is a matter which is long overdue better Support and funding, and so yes, I I continue to support the minister. The minister, when in that interview, was very straight that he was unhappy about that what had come out, um, and that he was going to act upon it from day one. I welcome that. Um, one, you know. As I say, in the past, and, and he will now have to oversee that the actions, the 17 recommendations, are properly followed up, and I trust him to do that. It may well be something that the Social Affairs Policy Review Committee will wish to talk to him about, or it may well be something that will come up in Timwald. However, I, I, it, it is important, uh, and it, it's, I welcome his commitment to work on it, as he said from day one. One of the things he didn't mention in, in that in that clip, and I know it was part of a, a longer interview that he did with Sean Cooper, was in relation to uh, patients uh, appear to have limited access to independent advocates and that that needs urgently addressing. Now, from, this is in the law, the 1998 Mental Health Act, this is a requirement of the law, and for them not to have that is worrying to say the least. Um, And so that would be one of the issues that would jump off the page to me. Also, as I say, about physical and mental health and the care plans, which the minister spoke about at length. He is taking it seriously. Those around him appear to be taking it seriously at last. And so we, you, you know, we can raise issues, but ultimately it's for the government and it's for the Department of Health and Social Care to make sure that action is taken. And I trust that he will do that.
1: We'll come back to some of those issues you've mentioned shortly. Um, I went to the launch of Manan Court and um, I reported on it a little bit, sort of since its official opening if you like. One thing I was going to want to raise with you is to do with the staff-patient ratios, which is another point which is yes. highlighted um, by, yes. by yourself. I think for a while the facility was largely operated by agency staff. Yeah. Um, Are the the staffing levels still a a concern,
3: do you think? Well, it it was highlighted in a report that if people had to have intensive observation, then the staffing levels that are currently in place are insufficient, and the recommendation was that that would need to be improved upon. The Minister has said that each of the recommendations will be taken seriously. That's one of the ones that we think uh, is pretty important.
1: I obviously have no professional knowledge um, of any of these topics or anything no. like that, but I would assume that in an in- acute inpatient facility, perhaps those ratios might be different to other organisations in healthcare. Summary, yes, I'm sure that's the case. Is that a fair summary, you Yes, I'm
3: sure that's the case. You know, if people are at risk, uh, although, you know, Manan and Court following on from lessons learned in inverted commas in other establishments where people have taken their own lives in establishments owned by the state is is built with that in mind. So hopefully, you know, those kind of issues will have been uh, taken out of the scenario now. But when people are uh, um, under duress then it's important that the appropriate staffing levels are there in order to support them have you been to the facility i have been to the facility yes uh, i didn't go to the opening but i have been since
1: um, and
3: you will obviously have been
1: familiar with its uh, predecessor yes um,
3: well, one of the things that was said to me well um, and I, I i perhaps need to check up with the minister on this is that they're actually i'm told that there are less uh, beds now than there were previously Angela Murray did in her presentation to us uh, talk about uh, alternatives that were being brought brought forward so I'm not completely up to date there but you would think that given that mental health uh, issues are more dominant now than perhaps in the past uh, you know in, in the past it appears that sometimes people were put away and you didn't hear about them and and society just got on with it well that was that that was the wrong thing you know uh, and hopefully we've learned from all those kind of things in the past and hopefully now we treat people with a bit more respect and dignity than might have been the case a long long time ago
1: integrated care um, again to my to my simplistic understanding is is an increased emphasis on treatment in the home environment or in the community perhaps I should say yeah Um, so how does that fit with an acute facility
3: Again, well, some people will be able to be helped and supported in their own homes. And I think that's very good. Uh, you know, again, I, I think it's very important wherever possible that people uh, are supported. Uh, this this applies to older people as well. And again, I think there's a tsunami coming on the way in terms of Alzheimer's and, and other disease, uh, 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 things like that. With more people living longer, there's going to be more instances of those kind of issues. That's why I try to encourage the government to support the establishment of a champion for older people. They didn't, they chose not to do that, and that's history now. But I, I certainly support people being supported in their own homes. The mistake we must learn, though, is in the 1980s, um, people in the UK, and we followed the UK, had a policy of um, or ordinary people in ordinary streets. So people with mental health issues were supported in in, in, in the community. In the UK in particular, um, I think that that um, was felt by those who were promoting it to save money. And that, what I would say is that proper support in the community might not necessarily su- uh, save money, but it's entirely the right thing to do.
1: You mentioned a bit about the ageing population, and um, again, I, I haven't got the, the, the exact figure written down. But I, I remember um, there was a, a prediction that there'll be 20 new care homes or, or yes. thereabouts needed on the Isle of Man in the not yeah. too distant future. I'm not for a second likening residential care to yeah. to Manhattan Court, but is there going to be? Do you think an increased reliance on on um, infrastructure to, to to accommodate people who require assistance?
3: Yes. Well, again, I'm I'm involved with families at the moment who, who the the care that their their older relations are receiving um, hasn't been as good as it could have been, and I'll put it no stronger than that. And yes, I think it was the the present chief minister who indicated the number of uh, homes that may be required for older people in the future. Um, and again. It's, it's very important that we get all the statistics right, but it is apparent that with people living longer, it's inevitable that uh, illnesses and conditions of older age will be more prevalent, and as such, you need to make proper provision for that.
1: Aren't there already shortages in, in nursing, for example?
3: In, in staff nursing or so, yes, it's in, in staff. staff. In staff well, course. one of the good things is that nurse training has been reintroduced on the island. Um, I, I'm I'm told though the mental health nurse training isn't uh, available on the island at the moment, and I'd like to perhaps talk to the minister as to is that something that may be possible, so that people from the island who are interested in this and have the commitment may be able to follow that as a career, because we're obviously going to need. um vital staff the to, people to, that... to, to grow our own absolutely right? I mean, absolutely
1: let's come back to um some of the points that, that you've raised about this report into monallen court um the limited access to independent advocates is that something is that a problem which is specific to the facility do you think or is that or is that wider in the health service is there For, any indication
3: well it's the first time that i've read that and it's specific to the mental health uh uh facility in in as much as it, it comes under the 1998 Mental Health Act, it's a provision of the 1998 Mental Health Act. It's, it's something that is in line with European Courts of Human Rights. People, uh, we, we also made a recommendation in our January 2019 report about mental health capacity legislation. Now, again, the minister uh, and, and Timbold took that on. We haven't seen it yet, but that's another important area which needs to be put in place.
1: I don't know exactly when Manhattan Court was officially opened, but I know that I've been here about two years, so we, we can safely say it wasn't very long ago. No. How much of this can we put down to being like teething issues, do you think?
3: Well, I wouldn't be as generous as that. Uh, generous as that. I mean, you, you have teething issues with parts of the building or whatever, these issues that have been brought up are more cultural and are more concerning than that really and I think that's why the minister first of all engaged the report he it was him who who felt it was the right thing to do to to have a report uh, uh, instigated and now immediately he's published it and as such he's also made it clear that it's going to be acted upon from day one so I think he realizes, and any of us who are concerned about this realize that these are important areas that need to be acted upon.
1: One thing that you've spoken about um, already this afternoon, and I think the, the health minister referred to um, in his interview with Sean was about the communication channels. Um, and I would, I would, I would guess anyway that that's certainly not just uh, applicable to Mananan Court. That's also not not a change which I envisage is going to be introduced overnight, yeah. is it?
3: Well they're doing the test scheme in, in Peel at the moment, in the Peel in the West at the moment. Um, and and in terms of working in the community and, and that requires each of the agencies involved to be properly joined up to act together. It doesn't require seventeen different people to speak as as Angela Murray stated, seventeen different people to speak to seven to, to people uh, it, it's much more coordinated, it's much more effective, it's a much better way of doing things. And yes, uh, you know, you would be dishonest if you felt that that was going to get done overnight. But all I'm saying in all of this, and I know the minister agrees, is that these issues are priority and, and need action.
1: Let's speak more broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, we've not got very much longer to go now. Um, mental health and specifically suicide. Is there there a a perception that these are bigger problems on the Isle of Man than they might be perhaps elsewhere?
3: There is a perception of that, I think. And when Henrietta Hewitt came to speak to us, she spoke about taking a three-year average rather than a particular year because in a particular year there may be, for whatever reason, more people sadly deciding to take their own lives. And so I understand that that's in terms of statistical formula that's the the correct way to do things i think also though that in a small island and on a community such as we've got people know each other people know families who've been affected and if you have any kind of social conscience or if you're concerned about having a, a caring island a prosperous and caring island which miles walker came up with in 1996 and i still support you have to have the money, but then once you've got the money, the services should be provided to make sure you're caring for those who are most vulnerable. We haven't been doing that as well as we can, and we need to.
1: A message I had um, before the programme, um, which I think is a point to end on maybe, um, questions whether a societal structure where men particularly have few options and little control of their lives may have contributed to more significant rates of suicide on the island. Um more than addiction and clinical mental health issues.
3: Hmm. Would you agree with that? When I last, a long time ago, when I raised this in Timwold, at that time it was something which was men in their mid-age group and living in rural communities um, were more likely. I think those statistics have altered and when you hear about young people taking their own lives more recently that's a very worrying uh, trend and it, you know if you look at what's going on online where the social media companies have been told they need to do things better and not to have advice etc online available for vulnerable people we as a community and the the, the world on a more larger basis need to kind of wake up and uh, act
1: thank you very much indeed uh, david cratney mlc for joining us in the studio this afternoon we've been talking about the work of the social affairs policy review committee looking into the topic of suicide on the isle of man we've also spoken about a recent report into munanan court thanks for listening take care